Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. God said that Eli's house would be removed from the priesthood, and it all came true when Solomon fired Abiathar from being the priest. So let's come back to where we are now in 1 Samuel 22. This is where it all begins. This is where Abiathar begins that service with David and starts going through the afflictions with David. Remember, David said, the one who's after me is after you. Stay with me and you'll be safe. So they're going to go through some times together. And this actually saves Abiathar's life when he messes up later and joins Solomon's brother to steal the crown. Now, you would think, though, and now that I'm thinking about Abiathar, you would think that after seeing all this, this murder of all these priests and all the stuff going on, that Abiathar would recognize what kind of terrible things happen when a bad king gets the crown. Why did Abiathar, after experiencing firsthand the wickedness of, of, of an evil king, why did he help Solomon's brother steal the crown? Why, why would he try to do such a thing? All I can say to that is that Eli's line was tainted with wickedness, and that's why God said he needed to take him out of the priesthood in the first place. And when sin gets in and taints something and, and pollutes it, it stays dirty. The line of Eli was dirty all the way down, and it caused Abiathar to fall into a fault. It was only by mercy that he had his life spared by Solomon. When I think of David, he, he's been in royal courts before, but now he's in a cave. I realize he was homeless. Who does that make you think of? Somebody else who was anointed as king, but had no home. I want to take you to Matthew 8. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Friends, that was the Lord Jesus. He was anointed, he is the king, and he had no place to live, not on the world anyway. And Jesus also, he was on the run during his ministry. People were out to get him. They were out to kill him. And he had no home either. Now, David, we know that David is eventually going to rule in Israel. He becomes King David, and he's going to rule. But guess what? Jesus will too. Jesus is going to rule. Revelation 19:16 says, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, Jesus is king and he's going to rule. You can bet on it. Put your faith in him. He's going to rule. But you know, it's interesting how David, he was already anointed as king, but he was rejected and persecuted and he was People were against him. And David kept asking the question, why? Why do you persecute me? Why are you against me? What have I done 
for you to be so set against me. What did I do to you? Friends, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he is already anointed. He is king. But why do so many people persecute him? Why do so many people hate him? What has Jesus done against you for you to be so set against him? Why was Saul so set against David? You know, you could take the shallow answer and say it's because he was jealous of David, and that would be right, because he was jealous of David. But if you want to take it to the deeper answer, go to the bigger picture here, then it's because anyone who was going to establish the prophetic line of Jesus the Messiah to come onto the world scene, you could bet that the enemy, Satan, was going to do everything he could to try to eliminate that prophetic line. Now, here's the deal. If God can be proven a liar, if God can be made into a liar, if God can say, I promise that this thing is going to happen, and then it never does, ever, then people are not going to trust him. The enemy wants to make God out to be a liar. So now you got to think, okay, but if the Lord's in control of everything, like you're saying, Ray, then why did God let the circumstances be so against David? Why does Saul, the guy with all the gold and the royal courts and all the guys, why does he have it so much better than David? And David is in this lowly place. He's in a cave. Why? Why did the Lord set up this scenario to be so one-sided like this? Let me show you 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. It says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Friends, let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel weak? Do you ever feel foolish? Like people are talking to you like you're stupid, like you're dumb. Yeah, all the time. I feel like that. I know you do too. Why does God let it happen? Do you ever think maybe God facilitates this to happen? Well, God would never do that. Well, he's doing it for David. The Lord uses this kind of a setup where it looks impossible for you to win and everybody else has the upper hand. He takes this kind of setup to demonstrate his power so that your power will be eliminated from the equation. You think about it. When things look tipped against you, like the odds are against you, and you come through it anyway because the Lord brings you through, that's going to confuse everybody. How did you do that? And then you just say, hey, the Lord did it. Well, how'd the Lord do it? Because there's no way you pulled it off. (laughs) And then you tell them about the Lord. Then they'll go, oh, wow. And then the Lord is glorified because now they see the Lord's power demonstrated in your difficulty. He uses this kind of setup. It looks impossible for you and good for them, but bad for you to demonstrate his power. And that's how God is glorified. The disciples even taught about this in Acts 14 and 22. It says, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Why do troubles come at us, these tribulations? When you give your life to Jesus, the world really is going to start hating you, really going to hate you. It's kind of like when somebody dumps you. You ever been dumped before? You're in a relationship and they just flat dumped you for somebody else and you just got so mad. (laughs) It just burned you up. I hate them now. Well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. I dumped the world. I told the world, uh, world, we're done. Money, we're done. I'm breaking up with you and we're, we're finished. I give my life to Jesus Christ now. And I'm telling you, the world hated me for that. But there are good things that 
come out of this, from the troubles that come at us. There are actually good things. Let me go through it. We just read one from Acts 14 because it says the Lord is glorified through our hardships. And that's the first thing that should be on our mind is how is the Lord God glorified through this rather than what I get out of it. So the Lord is glorified. But I want you to do you remember the story about Gideon's army, how it was too big and the Lord cut it down and cut it down from thousands to just 300 guys. And those 300 won an impossible victory. And that's the second thing that trials do is they put the Lord's work on display. Not only does it glorify the Lord, but it puts his work on display. Now, another reason why David and ourselves at times, why we go through such trial is because they prepare us for service. Do you ever think of that? They prepare us for service. David is on his way here in this chapter. He's on his way to be king. And so the Lord prepared him for that crown. He was preparing him for service. He had to go through a tough time. It's like when I have a knife that's too dull to cut anything. What do you do? You sharpen it. How do you sharpen a knife? You rub it on a stone and it builds friction and abrasion. And now if I were the knife, I would say, ow, this hurts. You're you're scratching me and you're rubbing edges off on me that I had. But if I was the one sharpening the knife, I would say, yes, knife. But see, you're not fully fitted to perform your purpose. Your purpose is to cut, and you're not cutting very well. So I'm going to put you through this abrasion to get you sharper so that I can get you to fulfill the purpose you're intended to fulfill so that you can accomplish what you're made to accomplish. So depends on if you're the knife or the guy sharpening it, is whether you're going to figure what's fair or not. <laughs> so I want to show you something from Romans 5 and verse 3. It says, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Guys, it says glory in tribulations. What's our first reaction typically? When we have tribulations, we want to get upset. We want to get mad. We want to get angry. Life's not fair. What was me? Why does this always happen to me? And da-da-da-da-da, and we go. But we're not supposed to do that because if that's the way you handle a tribulation trouble, you're looking at it through a worldly lens, and you need to change your goggles. Get your gospel goggles on and look at your scenario through that. And what that will show you is that you should really glory in your tribulations because it produces perseverance, and then you get character and hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. It builds you up like that knife being sharpened. It gets you to the point where you can serve and accomplish the purpose you were intended for. And so you can see how tribulation goes from being a bad thing to actually being a good thing. Another thing that trials do is that they sanctify us. It means to clean up, purify, get cleaned up, spiritual cleaning. Gold, for instance, how you know how they purify gold is they put intense heat to it and all the impurities, everything that's not gold, it floats up to the top because gold is heavy. So all the impurities float to the top, they skim it off the top, and the only thing that's left is the pure gold. But it has to go through intense heat. Not very comfortable. It's got to go through intense heat before it can get to that uh, state so it can be purified, sanctified, cleaned up. You want to clean up the gold, make it worth more than it was? Well, it's got to go through some 
tribulation. Okay? James 1 and 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. Give it time. In other words, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. You know, David learning patience. David's learning patience right now in our story, isn't he? (laughs) And you know, it's easy to just point at David and go, oh yeah, David, you're going to be king. You need to be, you know, you got to learn that patience, David, because that's going to do you well. Okay, yeah, David has to learn patience. It's easy to say that. But why is it so hard to point at ourselves? Do you need to learn patience too? Maybe you're not being patient about some things going on in your life. Maybe you don't have compassion for somebody like you ought to. Maybe you need to learn patience. What about you? What about when that trial hits? Can you point at yourself and go, yes, I need to learn patience? Or are you just, oh, why is this happening? Which way are you taking it? Why is it so hard to point at ourselves? Can't we realize that our trials are for teaching us patience? Now, before you get sad and start thinking I'm out here to just storm all over you, I just want to show you that trials are to position you to receive reward, to receive reward. You've got to be in the right place. You know, when you're running down the football field and the guy throws the ball, if you're going to receive that ball, you better be in the right place when it hits the ground. Okay. Blessing doesn't spread wide all the time. Sometimes you need to be in position to catch it, to get in the right spot to get it so you can have it. And trial puts you in position to receive the blessing. 1 Peter 1 and 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus, that's when he reveals himself. It's kind of like you had this picture of Jesus all this time, and then when he reveals himself, it's going to be like, bam, (laughs) that's Jesus. Wow. You got to be in position to get there, though. First, you got to be under the blood of Christ to be saved. But, you know, it says here, here's something I want to comfort you with, is how it says you're in, in trials right now, but it says for a little while. For a little while. Friend, I know that trial you're going through seems huge and it seems to take forever, but according to God's word, it's just for a little while. Oh, Ray, I've been doing this for for decades and I haven't got out of it yet. But yeah, when compared to eternity, when you see the revelation of Jesus Christ and you're in eternal life, what is this life going to be but a blink? Guys, I'm just asking you, I'm trying to give you biblical encouragement to hang on just a little while longer just a little while longer. I know it's hard right now. I know it. This is your trial. This is helping sanctify you. It's building you up. It's preparing you to receive blessing. But it says just for a little while, you're going to see the glory of Jesus Christ if you're in him. I just want you to know that to survive trial and persecution, that's probably what's on your mind right now. Okay, so it puts me in position. It sanctifies me. It trains me up. It gets me ready. But how do you survive it? How do you get through it? I want to show you what the Bible says about getting through it. I want you to remember what David did. What does it say he did with his family? He took them to to Moab. Why? 
so they could be with family, so they could survive until David could figure out what the Lord was going to do with him. He assembled with family. If you want to survive trouble, you assemble with family. Assemble with family. Hebrews 10 and 24 says this. It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? It's when everything's going to be done, guys. You're supposed to be assembling. Today, our culture is using all these fear tactics to tell us to get away from each other. Separate. The term social distancing just came out in this year of 2020. Get away. Get away. What does the Bible say? It says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Assembling together is exactly what it means. We need to learn to do that. Guys, you need to recognize our culture is the world. It is telling us against the word of God to get away from each other. Don't do, don't to forsake it as is the manner of some. The Bible agrees. There's some people that are not going to take this seriously. And friends, this is your persecution for your survival of it. The church is here for that. That's why the church is here. Don't look at church as the enemy, as though the church is the one doing something wrong. The church is here for your benefit, for your benefit. This is for your gain so that you can assemble with the family of God. Now, I've heard more times than I can count. Some people always tell me, you don't have to go to church to be saved. Well, you don't have to go to church to be saved. And well, technically, that's right. You don't have to go to church to be saved. I witnessed to a girl at a coffee shop the other day, and she got saved right there at work in the coffee shop. Matter of fact, most salvation experiences do not happen in a church. But let me ask you this. So let's say you are saved. What about those trials that are ahead of you? And they are. They're coming. How are you going to survive it? There is safety, there is protection, and there is encouragement in the body of Christ. And if you want to survive the, the persecution that is coming, get in. I've heard people say, oh, if so-and-so makes it into office, he's going to persecute the Christian. We got to vote a, a certain way or else we're going to be persecuted. No, guys, Jesus said persecution will come. He didn't say it might come. And you can't sue it away. You can't elect it away. It's coming. You may be doing really, really well, but the time is coming when persecution is going to get here. And what are you going to do about it? I'm just trying to warn you now. Remember, Samuel warned Israel and they killed. Nah, it's not. They're not worried about it. Well, look at what happened. Now he's murdering the priests and he's coming after everybody. Now it's too late. They, the Lord said, you're going to cry out in that day and I'm not going to hear you. Guys, you're being warned now. Don't wait till it's too late when the Lord won't hear you. You have now is your time to repent and get right with the Lord. Right? It sounds like you're just trying to make me go to your church. I don't care what church you go to. Go to any church. Go to the church in Alaska. Go to the church in Florida. I don't care. Go somewhere. Get in a body of Christ. You don't have to come to mine. Get in the body. Get in the assembly. Not because I said it. Don't take it up with me. The Lord said it in his word in Hebrews 10. It is a command. And, you know, he wrote that command because it is for our benefit. Friends, I want you to understand the Lord has a way for us to live. And you cannot refuse to live by God's way and then expect him to bless it. 
you're not going to be positioned to receive the blessing. Everybody wants the blessing, but not many people want to obey the Lord and do what's required to get in position to receive it. Most people claim to love and trust God, but in their continual refusal to assemble, it's basically disobedience. They demonstrate that the Lord God is not worth their obedience. Guys, I just remember what David did. It says, when the Lord ordered him to go somewhere, it says, David departed because David obeyed the Lord's command. Do you love and trust God? David departed because he trusted the Lord. What about you? Why are you not following the Lord? Do you trust him? Well, sure I do. Then how come you're not doing what he said? Jesus actually asked that question. How come you call me Lord? You don't do what I say. Do your actions follow what you claim to believe? They should. Today, you can make a course correction. If you're thinking, man, Ray, you're nailing it. You're really hitting me hard. That is so me. Good. That means you're listening to God's word. You can make a course correction today, and you can make Jesus Christ your Lord, which means that Jesus is no longer just a religious figure that's buried down in your mind somewhere, but rather... He now reigns supreme in your heart. He is now the boss that what he says you're going to do. Those of us who claim Jesus as Lord already, we should have a behavior. Our conduct should prove what we claim. If we claim Jesus as Lord, we should do what he says, and people should be able to see us doing it. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so if you plan to survive those tribulations, it's good to obey the Lord God. And my advice is to get in the assembly of believers. Join in and get assembled in with your family. I know this is not popular talk right now. Believe me, I have heard it a million and a half different ways. Well, you're just a pastor trying to get me to come to church. Well, I am a pastor and I am trying to get you to come to church, but it ain't for my benefit. It's for yours. Your survival of your tribulation. I pray that there's a day that's coming soon when people, they're going to desperately look and beg for churches to be in that teach the word of God. Because right now, the majority of people who think they're a Christian, they just don't care. I pray it comes a day when people finally realize that their assembly of the people of God, of God's family, is a, the safest, best place to be. If you are sick of your life, Give it to Jesus. He'll give you a new one. Say this prayer with me. Father, I have sinned. I messed up bad, and I don't know what to do. I'm all out of steam. I am done. I can't do it anymore. I'm, I have no more strength. Lord, I learned today. That's where you do your best stuff so that you are glorified through our weakness. I give you my life. You are now my Lord. I now follow you and do what you say. Take my life. I'm done with it. I am breaking up with the world. I'm through. Lord, take me. And I thank you, Lord, that you died in my place so that I can be saved, that you paid my penalty for me. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess the Lord Jesus, which means he is the boss, and you believe, not just know in your head, you got to believe in your heart. See, that's where it becomes a change. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will. It says it. Look it up. Romans 10, verse 9. You will. It's a promise. You will be saved. You will be saved. You are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.